kicking the pants coming up. So this year, I've done, uh, basically, this is the second series on boundaries. And I'm going to be real honest with you, I've got a purpose in it. The purpose is, <clears throat> we need to get over ourselves and get on with it. I don't mean to be crude or rude, just saying, there's stuff this world needs. And it needs us to step into it and be warriors for it. Amen. And so this is... My last touch on boundaries this year called Getting Past Your Past. Today we're going to talk about some few, a few things that will be helpful tools. Next week we're going to talk about purpose. But I just want to be clear, I have an agenda. I want to see Rock Springs encounter God. That's what I want to see. And we have to do it. I can't do it. We have to do it. And so uh, I don't know who God's going to raise up to get into this thing. I... Uh, Jason Peake and I have been talking about this a lot, and the, the word that keeps coming to mind is an army. And we're enlisting and engaging an army. And uh, so I, I, just, I just wanted to be real honest. And so, yeah, it might be a kick in the pants. I don't know. Mac moved me. That was awesome. Thanks, brother. So today we're going to talk about a few adjustments, and we're going to be talking about relationships. Why? Talk about relationships a lot this year. And why am I talking about relationships? Because the Word of God says that the main thing you've got to do is love God and love others like you love yourself. Okay? So you got a horizontal and a vertical relationship you got to deal with. And so I've realized over the years, as much as I didn't like it, because I really don't like relationships. They're like a necessary evil to me. I'm like, I'm really an introvert. Every time I say that, people laugh at me. Like, oh, no, you're really extroverted. No, no, no. I hide behind being extroverted. If it were up to me, I'd live in a cabin up in the mountains next to a lake and be left alone. But... The Bible says in Proverbs 18 that that's a foolish way to live. And so I'm not going to do that. Uh, and that, and my wife said it's not okay. There's that. <laughs> but I have realized now how important relationships are and how much I need them in my life. As I've grown older, I've really begun to realize how desperately I need relationships. And so today we're going to talk about relationships. We're, all, we're not just going to talk about relationships and where they've been in our lives and where we've been hurt and those kind of things. We're going to give you some practical tools how to deal with those. Then, in the last part of this, we're going to talk about actually going out and making peace in our world and being warriors in the way of peace, just like Jesus Christ was. <clears throat> I'm trying to start my timer. It won't start, so I have all day. Hallelujah. Way to go. The, the point I'm trying to get to in this message is there's three things, responsibility, integrity, and courage are going to clear a pathway for us to have better relationships in our life and deal with the relationships that are in our life. Because right now, our relationships are saying a lot about us. So let me start with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, and where Paul writes this, he says, Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So obviously Jesus wants us working on the relationships horizontally in the body of Christ. He wants you and me to get along and not run from each other or hate each other or whatever those things are that we tend to do when relationships get sticky. So life is relationships. Life is relationships. And so the quality of your life right now the quality of your life is tied to the quality of relationships in your life. So if you're struggling with, with unhappiness, depression, anxiety, chances are it has something to do with either a relationship you are in right now or one that you have been in that you have not dealt with and restored, reconciled, or, or somehow finished. And so if the quality of your life right now has to do with those relationships. Your growth has to do with relationships. Person. Not just spiritual growth, but even though Henry Cloud says all growth is spiritual growth, your growth as a person is also tied to the relationships that are in your life. And as, in fact, you will not likely grow above the friendships in your life. If you outgrow the people in your life, you will likely change friendships. Just ask anyone who's ever been in addiction that goes out, gets free of it in a program, comes back to their old friends, what happens? The friends bring them right back into that lifestyle. You won't outgrow your friends. You'll have to change friends. If you do outgrow them, you will. Your spiritual maturity is reflected in your relationships or is a reflection of your relationships. 
And so if you're struggling keeping healthy relationships in your life, whether that's with your children, your parents, or just friends, there's a spiritual principle at play here. There's something going on with you that keeps bringing chaos back into the relationships of your life. Also, where you are in life, your current station, is a product of your relationships. That means that you ever tried to get a job at a place and you would say, and this phrase comes up, well, you've got to know somebody. You've you got to know somebody to get on there. That's the way it is in life. You've got to know somebody. And so life is relationships. So where you're at in life. So, so relationships are really important is my, my initial point I just want to make. These are really critical. You have to have good relationships in your life. And only healthy people can have healthy relationships. And if you don't have in your life, I don't know why I keep fading out, but Creed, am I making you mad? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, but if you don't have healthy relationships in your life, you need to look at your own heart. And we'll deal with some of those health issues here in just a second, okay? So today, hopefully, we can make a few uh, adjustments. Now, the gospel. When I say the gospel, if you were raised in church, you're probably thinking about the four spiritual laws, or you're thinking about the fact that we were sinners, we are in trouble, Jesus Christ died to save us, we place our faith in Jesus Christ, he gives us eternal life. You're thinking that's the gospel. That is a nice piece of the gospel, okay? That's just part of it. The gospel, that part of the gospel is the launching pad of the gospel. The gospel covers everything. And when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you place your faith in him, I guess I'm going to have to stand still. I don't, that ain't happening. That will not work. <laughs> when you become a believer, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just going to, I don't know what it is. Just bear with me. I'll just shout. It's all good. When you become a believer, it changes the, the gospel changes the relationships in your life in several ways. Let me show you a few passages. 1 Peter 4.4 4. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you lo no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. The gospel changes. Boy, I'm really hot now. I'll have to get quieter. So the gospel changes how... The, the relationships in our life before the gospel. You should also take note on that particular verse because it shows you that a relationship with Jesus Christ changes the way you behave. So the idea that you can live your life and never walk away from the sins that are in it and into a relationship with Jesus Christ is foreign to God's word. It's foreign to the gospel. It's foreign to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? So, Colossians 3, 7, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. Paul assumes that the gospel is going to change the way you live. Okay? Some other things that gospel changes in relationships. I love this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 33, which cracks me up because Paul's actually quoting a comedy that was popular at the time. He says, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. But there is a Jewish equivalent, so just if you're nervous about Paul quoting comedies, you know, maybe today he would quote, never mind, I'm not even going to suggest one because, you know, that would be, someone would think it was blasphemous. Sins like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. That is a Jewish equivalent of it. So, Paul also goes on in 2 Timothy, says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. The gospel changes relationships. The only point I'm making, the Bible makes it clear that the way that a Christian relates to their friends who are unsaved changes, okay? What does that mean? Does that mean you abandon your old friends when you come to Christ? No, it doesn't mean you abandon them. In fact, your hope is that you can influence them for Jesus Christ and you can help them find the way. But it does mean that you put boundaries in place so that they don't influence you away from Christ. And that's what this is about. You, relationships and how the gospel changes relationships, very important that we be very honest about that. So today, what I hope we accomplish for you, or at least get you to think about for a few minutes, is that you can be a person who has healthy relationships in your life with just a few adjustments. And, and they're not big deals, however they may seem a little harsh in different places. But they are places that we can make adjustments and, and have better relationships. Now, one thing about relationships, before I plunge in head first, there are different levels of relationship. Jesus had a relationship with the Father, an intimate, vertical relationship. He had a close relationship with the three, 
Peter, James, and John, an intimate, horizontal relationship. He had a broader relationship with the 12. He had another relationship with about another 120 or 110. And then there were the multitudes. All of those relationships were not the same. Okay? There were different levels, and it will be the same with you. There will be those who are close and those who are not so close. Some who are right next door and some who are farther away. And that's just the way relationships are going to work in your life. Okay? You ready? You're not. You just think you are. All right, Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? I am. I am. Some of this, someone's pointing back at me, but let's, I am's the right answer. Let's try it one more time. Who's the light of the world? I am. Oh, man, that's good. Wait till we get back to the I am in just a second. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God wants you to be good. God wants you to be good, not nice. So let's start with the issue of niceness. When nice isn't so good. Are you ready? Any nice guys, nice gals in the room? Don't raise your hand. I'm just doing it to trick you. I'm a nice guy, or I was for a long time. Now I'm just a jerk, but that was a long time ago. Anyway, sometimes nice isn't nice. God wants us to be good, and we're in a world that tells us to be nice, and so sometimes nice isn't nice. What is it to be nice, and it's not really that nice? When we are being a nice guy, so to speak, or a nice girl, it's, it, we're moving in life with an agenda. We have something we're trying to get, typically something we want that's unspoken. We typically live without any kind of boundaries. We usually have expectations that we place upon other people, but we never tell them what the expectations are. In our series earlier this year on boundaries, we talked about people who never watered their own yard, which was their responsibility, but were instead of like squirting water in everybody else's yard, hoping that theirs would get green. It's kind of funny, isn't it? And it doesn't sound smart, but anyway, that's kind of, kind of what nice people do. If I'm nice enough to you, you'll take care of me, okay? Well, other people taking care of you isn't how this works, isn't how God set this thing up. Unless there's a time of need, and so that's a special thing, but nonetheless. So nice guys, nice guys aren't nice at all when they are being indirect or when they're being passive-aggressive. Every time I hear the word passive-aggressive, I think of that Adam Sandler movie with his passive-aggressive sister that I've never even seen. But nonetheless, it just, I know what it's about, and I'm like, ah, I don't need to see myself in action, so I never actually watched it. But... Passive-aggressive. Ah, you've heard these phrases before. Oh, no, no, I'm not mad. After you know, boom, slam the door in the kitchen. Boom, honey, are you mad? No, no, I'm not mad. Are you okay? I mean, sure, I'll do it. Fine. Whatever. You like that one? I was only joking. I was only joking. Huh? You like that? How about those backhanded compliments people give? Like, uh, man, you do so well for someone who's like you. <laughs> Old, fat, <laughs> ugly, dumb, whatever. Or gaslighting, that's another one, that's another one. Why are you getting so upset? I don't know, you ran over my foot in the car, I'm a little mad. So, so anyway, the point is these, these are like passive-aggressive things, things that we do that, anyway, you're not being nice if you're doing those things. Also, when we're just not honest. And to me, the best tool you can use in a relationship to really, really set it free is just to be honest, which is something we really aren't good at. You know what I'm saying? Something hurts us. We don't like it. We're in a relationship, and rather than saying, hey, when you do that, it hurts my feelings, or I don't like it, or whatever, we never say that. We just hope people will read our minds. Walking around like magic eight balls. Do you ever have a magic eight ball? Those things are always right. Have you noticed? They're always right. I need one. I actually need one. I'm going to start using it for my financial decisions. Anyway. Anyway. A lot of times, it's just... These are all things that people do to try and get their needs met, and they don't, they don't work because they're not honest. They don't operate out of integrity, okay? So here's, what, here's where we start. If you're ever going to be good and display the goodness of your father, it's time to start being real. It doesn't mean you've got you to gotta open up your entire life to everybody you meet. In fact, I'd appreciate if you didn't. I don't want to know your whole story in the first meeting. Save some till later. You know, I, I need small doses. <laughs> I'm not very smart and can't remember much. So. But I'm just saying, 
Even in any relationship, I can be real. Just who I really am, you know? And so that's where we begin in moving into this idea of goodness. Because what's wrong with nice guys and nice girls is the issue of guilt, shame, and pride. It's always pride. Sometimes pride is self-promoting, and sometimes pride is self-loathing. But it's still pride. And so you can be a martyr or a murderer in life, so to speak, at least relationally, and it's still be coming from the same place of guilt and shame and pride. And so if you're ever going to move into a life that's actually good, I've got to get over myself. And that fear within me that comes from our fallen humanity, what is that fear? It's a fear that says, I'm bad, I'm not worth knowing, and if you really knew me, you would leave. Therefore, I cannot be loved, but I need love so badly hear me out that is the fallen human condition that I just described that has been answered in the life death resurrection ascension and return into the hearts of Christians in Jesus Christ it's been answered that problem is fixed but it's a human problem because Adam got in trouble a long time ago and humanity without Jesus cannot get out of trouble. That's where this comes from. Does that make sense? So, when it, as long as we're hiding ourselves, can't be real, ashamed of ourselves, it's never going to get fixed. We can't move into goodness. So the way to fix that is through Jesus Christ and the gospel. I want to come back to that in just a minute, okay? How about right now? <laughs> Since we're here. Since we're here. Did you know that the gospel is not for good people? Is for bad people. Good people don't die and go to heaven. Forgiven people die and go to heaven. You understand? Isn't that good? I, doesn't that kind of set everybody in the room free? How many of you are working under weight? Well, I've got to be so good in life. Man, we, we get to do well, do good in life, but we don't have to be good because Jesus Christ has taken all that on. And so when you have these places in your life of guilt and shame and pride, do you know what that is? It's an indicator. It's like a, that service engine light in your car that's been on for three years. Just kidding. It says there's a place I need to repent. What do you mean repent? I need God to transform my mind. Romans chapter 12. I need God to fix the way I think about things. And I can't do it myself. I can learn the truth. I can pump the truth into my head. But I need God to reveal even that truth to me. And I need to be in the Word. It's alive and powerful and sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and flesh. It reveals me, but I need God to reveal Himself to me in the Word's revelation of me to me. Boy, you probably didn't get that. I know that was weird. But still, I need revelation. Don't, don't, don't get stuck there. Let's, let's move on, okay? And in that, you'll be revealed, and that transformation brings us into Christ. So... Let's move from this idea of where we are from the nice guys into this concept of what did God make you to be? And I want you to think about this for a second. This is going to be challenging for some. Have you ever thought about all the decisions God made in your life before you were born? You ever thought about this? Decisions he did not consult you with. He, he didn't call you. He didn't, before you were born, he didn't sit down and have a meeting with you. He didn't ask, hey, what nation do you want to be born in? What race would you like to be? Who would your parents be? I don't think any of us would have picked our parents that we had, right? All of us would be like, no, I'm just kidding. Your physical features God picked, your birth order, whether you're first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or eighth born. Some of you are going, eighth, oh my gosh. Anyway, your time, your time in history, God picked that. I know some of you are still going, no, I'm an old so I should have been born 100 years ago. God says, this is the right time for you. Um, your, your siblings. And the Bible also says in Hebrews 9, 27, that's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the, the judgment, you also have an appointment for your death. All of that, God decided without you. You weren't consulted. And if you had been, you'd have made a terrible decision. You would have. Look at Adam. He made a terrible decision, and he didn't have corruption in his life. And so that's what would have happened to us. And so if God made all of those decisions without you, then what, does it all end at birth? 
I mean, do you just, you're born in this world and then all of a sudden God no longer has anything to say about it? But the Bible says in his word, we are God's masterpiece, Ephesians 2.10 on the board. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I know you've heard it said God has a plan for your life. So let me say it again. God has a plan for your life. And I got bad news. Probably not your plan. Probably not, you, you sketched out. And, and thank God for that. I'm glad my life does not go according to my plans. Just a lot of things I would not have today that I really need, that I, I would not have received if, if things had gone the way I wanted them to go. What does this mean? First of all, every person in the room has to deal with God's decisions. Do you understand? God made choices for you. A lot of our debates and problems in the world today are issues that people have with God's decisions. The issues with gender dysphoria, sexual orientation, all, race even, all those kinds of things that are hot topics today, making the news, discussions, they're really just people mad at God for making choices without consulting them. That's human nature, to be upset with God over his decisions. And in order for you to actually become a Christian and follow Christ, at some point you have to surrender to God. Salvation isn't a choice as much as it's a surrender. You understand this, right? You surrender to this God. He's awesome. He's way better than you. And he doesn't do what you say, and he never will. And I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but you don't command him. He's the Father, but... That's another sermon I'll come back to, okay, in about three months. <laughs> and so God has a plan for you, and part of our issues of moving into being good people and doing good things are accepting that plan. And we accept that plan by claiming responsibility. I was talking to one of my sons a couple months ago, or a month, I don't know when it was. Time flies when you don't know what's going on, and that would be me. And he was talking about Generation Z and how that there's this wave of something weird. I'd never heard of it before. Personal responsibility growing in Generation Z. And that was a pretty exciting thought to me. So let's talk about some things that you're actually responsible for before we jump into the rest. Of it. And this will help you because if you're going to fix relationships in your life, even your relationship with God or with others, your marriage, whatever, you have to take responsibility for some things. The first thing is you have to take responsibility for your own actions. You can, either be, you can either choose to be led by God's Word and His Holy Spirit, and by the way, those two things have to be married together. The Word of God without the Holy Spirit is a dangerous thing. I, really, I mean it. That's how cults are born. You have to know God has to teach you His Word. You can't just figure it out on your own. So I can choose to be led by the Holy Spirit and, and by God's Word, or I can choose to be led by my own imagination. I do what I want. Either choice, you know who's responsible? You. It's your choice. You're responsible for your actions and your choices. You're responsible for your life. Where you are today is nobody's fault. Get over it, okay? I'm sorry bad stuff happened. It's still your responsibility. You can sit back and blame the world while your life burns down. Or you can get up with all of those problems that have come into your life and you can stand up and walk forward. That will be your choice. You'll choose. I know personal responsibility is a difficult thing. But it's something that all of us are, are here. We, we choose. We make choices. It's our life, how we live it. Whether we starve to death or eat ourselves to death, still our responsibility. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. What was Paul saying? He's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of my yard, my boundaries, what's inside my fence. I'm going to take care of it because actually that's God's yard. And I'm going to be responsible for God's yard that's in my responsible area. So I'm responsible for that. I'm responsible for my actions and choices, my own life. I'm responsible for my relationships. I may not be able to control who is in my life, okay? You didn't pick your siblings. Some, you're, some cases you may not even pick your boss or, or whatever. I may not be responsible for who is in my life, but I am responsible for how much those people influence me. Therefore, I am responsible for those relationships. Does that make sense? 
Have I made you mad? And you're like, no, I'm out. I'm not talking about this anymore. It's okay. I've been there. We have the responsibility to choose those. And also, we have responsibility for God's purpose in our life. God has a plan for your life. I, I, I know what it's like to, to be like, God, I want to live by your plan, but uh, it would be easier if you'd tell me. <sighs> and there's a reason he doesn't tell you. It's because he doesn't want to freak you out immediately, okay? He would like to freak you out gradually. But freaking you out is what's happening. I'm just not even going to lie, okay? It's just, just that's what's going to happen. Uh, God, God rocks, but he's scary. All right. 1 Corinthians 3.11, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. God's laid the foundation. God has a plan. It's up to us to live in the plan. He's not keeping a secret. He's really not. I was, uh, I was, I was jogging up, walking up, crawling up Grant Hill this week. I'm... I'm I got a, a lot of mistakes on my waist. I don't know about it anyway. So, a lot of choices. A lot of choices right here, okay? That I'm responsible for. So, I'm going up this hill and I'm praying and I'm having uh, a time with the Lord, which is, it's easier to have times with God when you're afraid you're about to die anyway. You know, you want to be ready. So, I'm going up this hill and I'm like, God, I know you got a word for me in this. I know there's something for, for me here today. I can just sense it. Some days you just know God's got something to say. And then, so, I'm like, here, I'm listening. I'm listening, Papa. And he said to me, as I'm going up the hill, he says, you lift the foot, you take the step, I got the strength. Every step you take, I got your strength for you. I almost cried. My, he had said that to me in the voice of my father 40 years ago. My dad was telling me about his basic training in the Marine Corps and how they had to run long distances. And he said, I would make it by just simply saying, one more step, one more step. At the age of 12, I ran my first consecutive mile, which was a huge accomplishment for me. I was an overweight child. And I, the way I did it was the way Dad taught me. For one mile, every step, I'm trying to jog. And I said, one more step, one more step. And when I made that first mile, woo, man, it was a big day. And here Papa comes to me, and I'm going up this hill, and he says, you take the step. I got the strength. I always got the strength. You just take the step. I, I believe that's how it works in the kingdom. You take the steps, and God provides what you need in the step. That's how it worked for Peter. Steps out of a boat onto a raging sea, and God had him. But you never know in God's plan until you take the step. My point is simply this. If you're going to change things in your life, you just have to take responsibility for those things. As long as there's someone else to blame and someone else who's at fault, you're stuck and going nowhere. The only consistent in all the relationships of your life is you. You hear me? I'm not trying to slap you, although that's stung. The only consistent is you. So work on you. Take responsibility for you. So... Take responsibility because nice isn't always good. And then Matthew 5, 23. So if you're presenting a sacrifice, I'm going to make some friends and enemies in this next part, but it's okay. It's, don't worry. It's good. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, this is Jesus talking. We should listen to him. He says, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Someone has something against you. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now I want to talk about apologies. When I'm sorry isn't an apology. And how that we need to reconcile relationships in our life and how we can do that. Uh, I'm an over-apologizer. Hi, my name is Michael Maynard. I'm an over-apologizer. Over <laughs> Steve, I'm, gonna, I'm not picking on you, but I've got to tell the story. When Steve first came, he really brought my over-apologizing to the surface. I can't remember what we were doing, but several times we'd be, we set up on Friday nights, somewhere between 4 and 5.30 if you're free and want to put me out of that job, I'll take a help. Um, but we we're, we're setting things up, and I, I'm just one of those people, like a lot of you, who says I'm sorry a lot. You know, like, like uh, you, you forget to do something or you're late, like you're late, and you go, I'm sorry I'm late, okay? You do that? Anybody else do it? Just give me a nod. Don't raise your hand. It's subtle. Over-apologizing the house. Hey, you under-apologizers, I'm coming. You hold steady. 
You hold steady. You over-apologize. So there's a movie that came out several years ago, and I'm not recommending the movie, but there's a scene in it that just rocked my world. You know, God can speak through anything. And so the movie's wanted, Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy, and Angelina gets killed at the end of the movie, which makes it worth watching, but that's another... (laughs) Not in real life, just just a scene, you know, so... Anyway... So there, James McAvoy's character is just getting beat up and asked the question, why are you here, why are you here? And all through the movie up to this point, everybody he talks to, he's sorry about something. He's sorry to his boss, sorry to his friends, sorry to his girlfriend, just this classic over-apologizer, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they're setting up for this scene. And in this scene, he's getting beat up, and the question comes out, why are you here? About the third or fourth time, and finally he dissolves into tears, covered in blood, beat to a pulp, laying on the floor, and says, I don't know who I am. And then you realize, if you think about how they've set the film up, you realize the whole film, he was, not a, he was never apologizing for an action or a failure. He was always apologizing for his existence. Did you hear that? Did it sink where it needed to go? Because that's what I find myself doing I grew up in a culture where, where you apologize when you've done wrong, but somewhere along the way, the apology, the I'm sorry, stopped being an apology, and it started being about being sorry about my existence because I didn't know who I was. And so now, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry I forgot to do this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, am I saying you should never say I'm sorry? No. I just want you to start asking yourself, Why are you sorry? Why? Think about it just for a minute. Why are you sorry? I found a very, very powerful tool. Because I think all of that sorriness, I know it's not a word, but I just made it up. You're welcome. I think it's I think it's insecurity. I think it's fear. I think it's self-preservation. I think it's a fear of being wrong, a fear of being denied, a fear that that question why am I here am I of any purpose at all here's what here's a tool I found I'll give you a free tool I found I stopped saying I'm sorry started saying thank you instead of saying hey I'm sorry I'm late I'm like hey thanks for waiting hey instead of saying I'm sorry I forgot my wallet thanks for paying (laughs) ha ha Gratitude's powerful. And if we could learn to be grateful, then we, would, we, we could contribute to our value versus we could see our value. Also, there's the issue of empathy, which is where we kind of move into the non-apologizers. And, and part of the issue is a lot of times we're saying, I'm sorry because of what we feel. And what we need to do is empathize with the person that we feel like we're saying, I'm sorry too. And understand how they feel. Which moves us into you non-apologizers who see apologizing as a sign of weakness. It's not. The correct I'm sorry that's a true true apology is actually a show of power. I'm strong enough in myself to own whatever I need to for this relationship to work and move forward. So, it's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. And if you're a non-apologizer, let me just say this as a pastor, just briefly, you probably have a lot of relational skeletons in your closet that you need to get cleaned out, and it's going to keep you stuck. So, let's talk about a, an actual apology that works. Okay? Guys, you listen? Nope. <laughs> Wives, women, you listen? Yep, yep, yep. Ladies are there, man. <laughs> Ladies are there making all you guys look bad. Here's how, here's how to actually say I'm sorry and it be an apology. First, got to feel it. That's a, me- a matter of empathy. And all the guys are going, no, I don't do feelings. <laughs> Get over it, tough guy. You can feel it, all right? That just means you understand that your actions or your inactions or your inconsiderations may have hurt someone. doesn't matter what you think. Hear me out, men, women, everybody. If you're sitting there going, well, it shouldn't have hurt you. You're just a big baby. That'll be great for the argument. That'll be good. <laughs> Just say that out loud. Now, call me in a week after you get, like, wake back up. But anyway, so 
Seriously, learning to understand how your actions actually impact people. Empathy, it always starts there. Two, own it. No ifs, ands, or buts, man. No maybes. I, this is my favorite apology ever. Well, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. All the ladies in the house going, I just got that this morning. He was driving out of the driveway before I got in the car. I had to leap in the window. It was so awkward. How do you own something? Well, you be specific. When I, I don't know, slam the door on your foot. When, or I should not have said that your mother was fat. Or I was wrong when. If you don't have the answer, a specific answer to why you're saying, I'm sorry, you're not ready to apologize yet. How's that? Does that help? Oh, uh, free, free bit of advice. Ready? <clears throat> Mind reading is actually not required. All, oh, now that, and then all the women chilled out. Oh, I'm supposed to read my mind. Actually, uh, I've done, I don't know how many weddings. I just did one yesterday. There's not a vow in there that says, and now shall read her mind. Not there. Or his. You're right, honey. That's right. Sometimes I'm that way. Burn, Pastor Burn. She's feisty. You think I get away with stuff. I do not. <laughs> Point is, we need to know what we've done and, in order that we can own what we've done. By the way, the other person's causes or contributions to our actions are not a factor. A lot of times we get in arguments with people and we break relationships and we say things like, well, when you did this, you made me do that. Right? We sound like, isn't it funny how the older you get, the more you sound like you're still in preschool, you know, <laughs> kindergarten, something like that. So, you got to own it. Then you got to actually ask forgiveness. Here's how that works Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And a nice little caveat there they got to or they can't go to heaven. Ah. <laughs> Just kidding. Will you forgive me? No, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. Will you forgive me? The last, or not the last one, but uh, then we need to accept the consequences. Sometimes our actions change our relationships. It's just the way it is. Okay? And, and you can't just be mad because the relationship changed. And you can't just live blaming that the relationship changed. It changed. And sometimes it needs to change. Sometimes trust has to be rebuilt. And let me just give you a, a caution here. Some of you are at a place in your life where you really are alone at the moment. And all your relationships are just very surface and acquaintance-based, and they're not deep and real. Okay? Um, again, the only consistent in all your relationships is you. So you may need to look in your heart and mind and soul and past and get some things healed within you. But yeah. Relationships change, trust may need to be rebuilt, or a situation may occur that there needs to be a boundary. And maybe that boundary is them toward you, and maybe it's you toward them. I don't know. I don't know all the situations that are out there. But you've got to accept that, that's, that things change, and there are consequences. And the last thing you've got to do, this may be the hardest of all, you've got to learn. you just got to learn. Now, I realize life is hard, and there are certain habits and mistakes we make that become uh, ingrained in us. But I want you to know, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, and you've surrendered to Christ, then you have infinite power in you to do the impossible. With, with God, all things are possible. Without God, things are really, really hard. Okay? And so you have power to change in you. His name is Jesus Christ who lives in you. You, you, you hear me? Amen. 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 Oh, me. Yeah, good word. Okay, Matthew 7, 5. <laughs> hypocrite. You always know when Jesus starts out with hypocrite, we're in a happy verse. <laughs> First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you'll see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. I just love Jesus' board picture, log in your eye. Well, anyway, that's how you say I'm sorry. What is that about? It's about integrity. It's about being honest about who you are. When we talked about, uh, we started with the idea of responsibility. Now we move into integrity. Now, where do we go from integrity? The Bible says in Matthew 5, 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called 
the children of God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. You see, people who think about Jesus as like some soft soap guy, uh, they don't read his writings. Okay? Jesus is pretty direct about things. What am I trying to show you from all this? First of all, I want you to see that Jesus somehow makes it that the killing of a relationship is equal to murder in his mind. Profound, isn't it? What's the difference in those two things? Well, say, say Jason's on the front row, so he's right here, and he's got that bright shirt, so I can't miss him today. There's, there's Jason Peake, and there's Michael Maynard. We're two individuals. Hopefully, we're healthy individuals. The relationship we have is a thing that's between us. It's not us. It's not us. It's a thing that's between us. It's, it's like I used last week. I talked about the 10 can phones. And you know, you, you remember the 10 can phones? You remember 10 cans. Anyway, so <laughs> you have a string between 10 cans, and you can't hear anything out of them, but it's a fun game to play. That's the relationship, though, is the string between us. Now, if it's a good relationship, it's a healthy relationship, maybe we upgrade the relationship, and, and it's like a 4G, you know, and we both get iPhones. <clears throat> All the Android people just got indigestion. But anyway, and, and we upgrade the relationship. But maybe it's not, and maybe it, it becomes like, do you guys remember that show in the 90s, Home Improvement? The neighbor Wilson, who you never saw his face? Maybe it becomes that kind of relationship where you have a fence between you and all you do is meet eyeballs every so often, you know? Maybe it's that. The point is, the issue is the relationship. Jesus somehow saw the killing of the relationship as equal to murdering a person. Now, I, don't, I can't begin to rationalize all those kinds of things for you. I just want you to see, one, the problem is relationship, and two, Jesus makes it a high priority as his followers. Can you go there? You give, give me that much agreement? It's a very, very high priority. Now, then Jesus comes along and tells us, Blessed are those who fight for peace, for they shall be called the children of God. That's what Jesus saved us to be, is children of God. Right? And so, there's a fight before us. A fight that works on a relational level. A fight that's for relationships. Just one caveat before I go into the rest of this, okay? I said earlier, you don't have the same relationship with everybody. And you can't let everyone in the same way. Jesus didn't even do that. John 2.24 says Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. John chapter 2, Jesus had boundaries. Okay? Some of you are saying, oh, I better write that down. Read it. He's got the wrong translation. I better find the right one. I just want to show you that, that that's important. But now Jesus did do something else. Even though he didn't trust everybody, he did lay down his life for everybody. Ephesians chapter 2.14. I'm going to ask you a question. There's a pop quiz at the end of this verse. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Okay, here's the question. You ready? Was Jesus passive or aggressive? He broke down the wall of hostility. Jesus literally attacked war between people. The hostility there. You see that? He attacked it. How did he do it? Because on the outside looking in, if you look at the story of Jesus' crucifixion, the outside looking in, he, he's a lamb being led to slaughter. That's what the Bible describes it. He's allowing all of these things to happen to him. On the outside looking in, it looks really passive. But things don't work in the kingdom like they do on earth. And what you can't see with natural eyes, but heaven sees perfectly, is that Jesus' act of becoming like a lamb for slaughter is an aggressive assault on everything that's ever been wrong in this world. It was an attack, and he won. Okay? That's how Jesus did it. What's my point? Being a peacemaker isn't about being passive at all. Being a Christian isn't about getting just run over in life. You know what it is about? It's about a really uncomfortable word. 
It's about real love. I don't know how much time you got. If you get done before me, you can go ahead and book out. And I'll say your name, but I won't, that's all I'll do. <laughs> Last night I was watching the documentary version of Richard Wormbrand's book, Tortured for Christ. If you've never read his book, you need to. Um, but my wife and I were watching the video together, well, through tears. <clears throat> it was, I got wrecked. And here's what, was, here, here's what wrecked me about the film. These are Christians in uh, ah, you, Romania. Thank you. I was thinking Ukraine, and I knew that wasn't right. Christians in Romania after the Russians came in in 44 and forced communism down the Romanian's throat and made all, basically made all, kind, all Christian faiths illegal. Richard Wormbrand spent 14 years in prison just for being a Lutheran pastor who loved people, ministered to them, and taught the Bible. So as I'm watching the film, he's going and recounting the various people who gave up their lives. He should have died himself. The various people that gave up their lives. And that was the theme that kept coming. In fact, it so compelled me, I, I went immediately after the film to the Word of God because I, that verse of Paul's in the King James, it says the love of Christ constrains us or compels us, depending on your translation. I just had to read it because here are these thousands of believers and there's no, no earthly value in being a Christian. They're not making money because of it. Their marriages aren't getting fixed because of it. Their kids aren't acting better because of it. They are just in love with Christ. They are in love with Christ. And I watched that film. And first of all, I mean, seriously, my wife and I talked at the end, and I'm like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian after watching this thing. And I'm watching believers lay down their lives for the gospel so that other people can learn what? How Jesus makes our life perfect? No. So they can learn that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, loves them, died on a cross for them, rose from the dead for them, wants to live inside of them, and their Father God wants to have a relationship with them, and their circumstances on earth make no difference whatsoever. Amen. They just love Christ like that. Why? Because they realized they were loved by Christ. How is that world out there ever going to experience Christ's love? If we can't get past our own garbage to tell them. The average Christian today will spend the, their entire lives focused entirely on themselves. I just got to get me straightened out. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. I get it. We all have. And every one of those, Jesus Christ died for. Every wound you got, he took a stripe for. Every disease you suffered, he took a beating for. You understand this, right? What am I trying to tell you? I'm not trying to rudely say, get over your junk. I'm trying to lovingly say, get over your junk. Why? We're surrounded by a community that does not know it's loved. They don't know God loves it. And us telling them how bad they are isn't actually helping. You know? How do you, how do you counter that? How do you address that? Well, you go out and be love. You go out and you listen. This, oh, I know, I'm over, but... I told you, you leave if you're ready. This week, I sat down and had lunch with a, with a fellow who was gay. And uh, he's a gay pastor. And I'm, I'm looking at this guy's face, and I went, I went with an agenda. Here was the agenda. I wanted to listen. I asked Papa. I said, Papa, I, I don't know what to do. You know, God knows my background. And so I went, and, and man, you know the great thing is about face-to-face -face conversation? This doesn't happen on Facebook. But face-to-face, -face, God shows up. On Facebook, I'm pretty sure the devil shows up. So I'm sitting here, and I told him, I said, listen, man, I am a Bible-believing evangelical, and I love you, so help me understand. And so I just sit and listen for an hour and a half to this man's story. I didn't have any answers. 
I didn't try and fix him. I'm pretty sure he's been preached at enough. And I just listened, and my heart broke. I ain't going to lie, my heart broke because I heard his story, and I understood a bit of where, how he got where he is in life. I don't have an answer. Not at this point for this specific situation. I know what I believe. I know what the Word of God says. I'm never going to dismiss that. So if you want me to come to a conclusion about any sin in this world that the Bible says is wrong, uh, if you want me to go against God's Word, I won't do it. Not to be a jerk. I just won't. God's right. We're wrong. That's generally the problem. Okay? But I'll tell you what I did. I was able to feel Papa's love for this man. And I don't know where we're going from here. But I have a community that we have people that are struggling with all kinds of sins. Sometimes they're sins of greed. Sometimes they're sexual sins and immorality. Sometimes they're sins of, uh, you know, relationships and abuse of others. I don't know. Everybody in this room, you probably all have some kind of sin, right? And my Lord and Savior died for all of it. Our job is not to go out and fix everybody. Our job is to connect everybody to the fixer, the, the physician, Jesus Christ. I don't have answers, but he's got them all. I learned a long time ago, and I'll conclude, <clears throat> that it isn't our job to change people's minds. It isn't even our job to lead them. What our job is, is to point to Jesus Christ and declare him the answer. That's our job. And he is perfect wisdom. He knows everything. And so, the sad, the sad thing is we live in a world that looks at the finger pointing to Jesus and thinks that guy's really something. When all he is is a finger pointing to the answer. This community needs more fingers pointing to the answer. In fact, it needs more people to go out and, and display God's goodness in it so that they will notice that there's a finger pointing to the answer. Does that make sense? You with me? We can get past our past. You don't have to spend the rest of your life stuck in the worst moments. You can move on. And today I gave you a couple tools. You men now know how to apologize to your wives. You both know how to tell each other what's wrong. You know how to be honest and stop being passive aggressive. So you have a few tools. Why? So you have a great marriage? That would be awesome. But the main reason is because there's a whole lot of people who don't know. And we're here to tell them. Not just me, we. Father, thank you. Thank you for this awesome responsibility. Thank you that we get to share the love of Jesus because you love us. We get to be co-laborers with you because you love us. And you know this is what we need, that this fulfills your joy in us. Lord, I don't know what the future will bring in some ways. I'm very excited. I am. I'm pumped. I know that you're raising up men and women and children to stand up and proclaim the goodness and the love of God and the gospel of Christ. I know that you're raising up people who will not just get saved by the gospel, but who will live by the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that it would just create a community of faith in our, in our town, in, in our county, in, in this whole region, a community of faith that displays a real love. Jesus, you said, Jesus, they're going to know you by your love. Right now they know us by the stuff we're mad at. And we're going to get over that. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be Christ in real ways, to stand up and fight for what needs to be in our world. Thank you. Lord, if I've sunned anything today out of my flesh that offended, I pray that you would, you would help me to see it and offer the right apology. However, Lord, if your word offended and your truth offended, I pray that you'd help me to come alongside and help heal. In Jesus' name, amen.